Hi, my name is Archie and welcome to the Reconnecting Podcast. I'll be your host on a journey where I'll hopefully be talking to some of the best minds of our time on what mental health means to them through a philosophical and psychological lens. This week's guest is Dora Tomlinson. Dora is a social media influencer using her platform to talk about and inform her followers on TikTok and Instagram about the trials and tribulations of eating disorders and the mental health struggles that come with and cause them. Dora's recovery story and openness about everything she has been through has garnered much attention and support online. Welcome, Dora. Hello. Gosh, that was so weird. An influencer, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you blow you blow up on the internet and you just get called an influencer from now on. That's, that's what it's what you're gonna have to deal with. Internet of fame. God, what can I do? Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous world out there for us young ones. So just to start off, tell me a little bit about you and what it means to you when I say the phrase mental health, not necessarily just eating disorders, but just mental health in general. I feel like I feel like a big connection to mental health, obviously having suffered myself, but like I feel like I'm part of the movement towards change, I guess you could say that. And it's become way less stigmatized, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's all a big movement at the moment. And yeah, I'm honored to be a part of it, in fairness. Yeah, no, it's, I definitely think I, I agree with you in the sense that it's definitely become less stigmatized in our, between our generation. Um, I think there's definitely still work to be done, hence why I've got this podcast. And I'm sure hence why, you know, you started sharing so openly um, about what you've been through. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to ask what, what made you want to use TikTok and Instagram to to start talking about these things? Was it was it like like for me, I started this more selfishly so that I could sort of gain power over these ideas in my head and these things that had sort of um, battled me. And only then did I realize that they could help people. Was it similar for you? Well, I had no like I had no intention of ever becoming like an inspiration to people or anything like that. I posted one video which was just picking fun at it, um, and it kind of like blew up a little bit. Like I remember getting so buzzed over getting like 10k views, um, and that was like including my nan. Um, and then I'd seen a few people like post what I eat in a day, and I'd personally found them helpful at the start. So I sort of thought, oh, I'll just film one, and then it just kept going and going, and then. One of them just blew up. I think it was a video I posted probably last year now. It blew up, got reposted on my second account, which blew up even more. And it was it was mad. Like the fact that like people now message me saying I'm an inspiration service is mad. It's a weird feeling, isn't it? When someone says that you've helped them, you know, I think in my own recovery that's happened. Um, not that I've publicized it in any way, but it's definitely it's it's a sort of surreal feeling to think that what you've been through can help someone else yeah i always think that because people if people come up to you and say like oh your videos really really help me and i'm like i don't know how but that's amazing and thank you so much um it's crazy to think i can do that to people like when it's just my friends who always support me say it's like a drunk dmc or something like that i'm like wow that really helped but like watching someone eat apparently helps people online it's mad yeah, no, there's been a definite um, movement on especially TikTok and, you know, Instagram a little bit. But I would say 
one of the reasons that TikTok has become so big is because it sort of um, it glorifies the monotony of life. Whereas Instagram is so headstrong on making you feel bad for not having something, TikTok is yeah. TikTok really people are just sitting there eating or showing you what they did in their day. It's it's like YouTube vlogs but just condensed into one or three minutes, you know. And I think that's been really helpful. Yeah, that's why I think it's so good. There's literally a platform for anything on TikTok. It is mad. Like you can you can be into anything and you'll find your people. And I love that about it. Yeah, no, it's definitely been helpful for me and feel for yourself, of course. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to just jump, I think we'll just jump straight into the, the nitty gritty a little bit. So so for for those that don't know why you started, it was eating disorders. So it wasn't just one, it was multiple different things that, that triggered it. Yeah, yeah, I think I get what you're saying. Like multiple eating disorders, like myself, I've struggled with. And I know that people, it's a stigma to be like, oh, it's just anorexia, but they are, they come in pairs. They, they come at different ends of the spectrum, like binge eating disorder and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there's so many different paths of it you can take. Yeah, I think I think when people think of eating disorders, they literally just think of someone that's ultra skinny and starving themselves, but it's not the case. Like they think of like a model, or like a blonde model, just dead skinny and eating a lettuce leaf. Yeah. So when did the struggle for you start and what do you think was the biggest thing that impacted you and is impacting young people today? Well, I was thinking about this the other week. I, I cannot pinpoint a time where it actually started, but it was around the age of 14, I guess. I had like disordered eating. And at this time I was at a all-girls school. It was a private school, so lots and lots of pressure. Everyone around me was so sporty and we're all very slim already. Um, and so I think it's just everyone sat in a, like, um, a dining room together and it was just sort of competition to... In my head, it was, wow, like I have to be... Have to have something special to stand out and i think that's where where i wanted to like lose weight i guess and and from there it just spiraled but um for me as well there is a genetic side of it um but like genetics as well plays a role and there's obviously environment and things affecting you growing up so not being allowed to have a certain treat or whatever but i don't blame it on my parents or anything like that you always can't put the blame on them yeah i think you'll be remiss to just put the blame for anything that really happened on my parents i went to an all boys boarding school so i know i know the feeling of the pressure and the there's a sort of it's a very weird environment to to grow up in you know i i started there when i was 11 and i left when i was 16 so did you board you know, that whole time i was boarding there the whole time and yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a really strange atmosphere to grow up in my dad's a teacher at a private school um and he tells me all the time about how they they put people on a watch list if they see them in the canteen not eating you know he's at a co he's at a co-ed school and the, the pastoral care there is about a million times better than where i went um and just the fact that he's even telling me that the teachers care that much gives me a little bit of hope for the future yeah it's mad to think how many because my mum she she um, became part of a parent support group. And when she first went, they were like saying, oh, where's your daughter from? And she said, my school. And then they were like, yeah, pretty much everyone here is from that school. And I was like, that 
that's really telling because the school is obviously missing something to allow that to happen. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of, there's a, there's a serious lack in training and understanding and belief in whether or not we're telling the truth. I think, you know, when, when someone's, when someone's mentally ill, you can't necessarily see it. It may be slightly different when it, when we talk about eating disorders as they are slightly more visual to a certain degree. But if you've broken your arm, you've broken your arm, there's no debating it. Um, but if you have an issue with eating or you have an issue with depression or anxiety, it's not obvious. And so people don't quite take it um, as, as seriously. When when was it that you realised you, you had an issue? Um, I remember being sat on my bed and my mum came in to me and she was like, we are, we are really worried about you now. And it's like that thing when you're trying to hold back crying and then someone says, are you okay? And you just burst out. And that's what happened to me. I literally just, it was in floods of tears. I was like, please, can you help me? And they were like, right, okay. And they were on it straight away. And I'm so grateful for that because I don't know where it would have gone. Um, so yeah, I think it was them telling me I had a problem that made me realise. But then it still becomes a... It was still a lot to accept that I had a problem and accept help. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 quite a big leap from the realization to the actualization of like recovery. Um, I had the exact same um, sort of moment of realization. I had called into work sick one day when I was like sixteen, lying in bed. My mum came and went, "Are you okay?" And that was it. I instantly knew that there was something wrong in my brain um, and something wrong in my environment or something wrong that needed to needed to change. So what 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 where did you go and what was your experience with with recovery at the start? So at the start, I went to my GP first. I think that's where my parents took me first and they referred me to CAMS. Were you ever with CAMS? Uh, so it's like the child adolescent mental health services and to be fair like they get so much stick online because they just say if you've got anxiety or anything like that it's like go get a cup of tea go go have a warm bath it's not like that but my team were really good at the start they they gave you like so many documents and so many leaflets to help you understand what you are going through because it is hard when you're when you're young i wasn't very 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 young but like when you are young it is you don't know much about it um, so they did all that and it's all like weekly weigh-ins, weekly blood tests and eventually made it out of there um, and then went back in and hospitalised and stuff like that. So it's it, it's been a very long journey to say the least. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's amazing that you're, you're at a point in your recovery where you feel comfortable sharing. You know, I've been, I've been in recovery for addiction for 18 months but I've obviously been suffering from other things for for multiple years and as I said at the start it sort of felt like a slightly selfish venture to start talking about these things and it was only once I realized that I could talk about it and when people said that's quite a good thing that you're doing that I realized how far I had come yeah, it's always amazing how when, when you do speak up about it, people are so impressed. It's like you are doing something that no one ever would think to do. And that's quite crazy to think about. Do you? So I often say to people that I feel somewhat desensitised to my trauma in that when I when I talk about these things, you know, I've done 
I've only done six episodes of a podcast, but you know, I'm happy to talk about these things when people ask me questions, friends ask me. There's no sort of idea that it's a weird thing anymore. Um, and so do you ever feel like that when someone online messages you, DMs, you said you've been a mis- an amazing inspiration? Does it feel quite surreal to you? Does it feel like you don't quite understand why it's happening? There are a few messages I get, which is like a gut punch. And I'm like, wow, that like people telling me that they've done these things because of me. And I'm like, wow, like that is that is incredible because I know that feeling. I've been inspired by people online before. But then again, it is. And especially when people come up to me in public now, which that's the craziest thing. We're in London with my family and then two like lovely girls came up to me and I was like, I was so embarrassed. I did not know what to say. But that to me was crazy. But then some of the messages, I'm just like, it's sort of second nature. And I hate saying that because it makes me sound so like braggy, but it is like, oh, this is just my life now. I, I do just talk about it. And if you go to the pub, I'm not scared about people knowing anymore because they just do know. And and, and that's exactly it. It's not, it's not braggy at all to say it's second nature because it is just nature. It is our lives. At the end of the day, we're not, writing a fiction story that they're with that we're then regurgitating we're literally just telling facts about what's happened to us and while many are not comfortable disclosing the, that information it's because there's a lot of stigma still around it but also you know i've been on this journey for nine years so it's it's been a while that I've uh, that I've had time to come to terms with these things and write down and stuff and go to therapy and you know meet people talk about it start a podcast you know I didn't I didn't feel depressed yesterday and start the podcast the next it's been a massive journey exactly and so I wanted to ask you I think we've we've kind of touched on it especially with the boarding school what do you believe do like do, do you do you think that we're doing enough to support young people with mental health issues and eating disorders and everything that encompasses it and what do you think we can do better and more to change that i don't think personally i don't think talking about it is enough like yeah we all talk about it and people are now they're now aware that you can talk about it but like i think they're that's our generation that know that. It's still the older generation, like my dad, He, if he's feeling low, he won't tell anyone. And I'm like, dad, like you can talk about it now or anything like that. And I think adults that still, still, some of them do, some of them just do not, choose not to understand it. They think it's, there's a whole thing about our generation being like wet wipes or whatever. Um, they're blaming everything on anxiety or something like that, but it's a real thing. And I think that there needs to be more especially in schools, as we said, uh, there still needs to be more programs in place for people to to get the help they need because sometimes it isn't affordable or it isn't accessible to people, depending on where you live. Or well, I think we are very fortunate. We we have the the funds or the the need like the we are we're in a position where we can get the help we need, basically. Yeah, we're we're both undeniably privileged in the sense that we've been given a life where we can seek the help that we need without even thinking about it. Um, there's a lot of 
I think for myself, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of there was a lot of shame that came with uh, being depressed or um, feeling anxiety because of the life that I had. And you know, I'm given all these things. I have a very privileged life. I went to boarding school. I did all these things, and yet I still felt like shit. And yeah, why why would I speak up if I have all these things? If you're it's it's a very difficult um, path to go down because you don't know why you feel a certain way. Um, and I think in society, we're not told that we're allowed to feel bad if we are given stuff, if we have a good life. And I say, I say good life from an outside perspective. I At boarding school, I didn't have a good life. I may have gone to a boarding school that was paid for, but I didn't have a good time there. It's not a given that if you have a, a good life from an outside perspective, that it's going to be a good life. Yeah, uh, it's like people saying, like my dad's colleagues or anything, like whenever I meet them, they're like, oh, but you're so beautiful. Oh, but you're so like slim already or anything like that. It's like, it's the typical, I felt so guilty for saying, oh, I suffer with an eating disorder because I am a privileged white girl, which is, the stereotype and people are like but you've got everything why would you want more attention or why would you want this and it's it's not that it's it's not controllable you can't see into other lives yeah it's it's a genuine lack of understanding from basically everyone um if you haven't suffered the idea of telling someone that you don't need to feel that way or oh you shouldn't have to worry it's not it's not a helpful phrase um, I think the the worst one when, you know, the classic of, oh, just, you know, make a plan for your day and stick to it. I'm like, that's really unhelpful. If if I could if I could do that, I would, but I can't, and that's my issue. And you know, as someone that's never suffered from an eating disorder, uh, I don't know what it's like mentally, but for me, with anxiety especially, I am a hundred percent conscious of it. I'm 100% conscious of the fact that it is incorrect, that I'm playing tricks on myself, that I have absolutely 100% control over my brain, but in that moment, I can't do anything about it. I don't think anyone's described it better. It is like anxiety, because the feeling when you are going to eat, that is anxiety. So it's, you know, you don't, you know, it's wrong. You know that you do need to eat. You know that you're not going to gain so much weight from eating but your brain is just like no that is telling you what it wants to tell you and it's sticking to that and it's so hard to just snap out of it and do it like it's so hard to just get on with your day or it's so hard to just not have a panic attack if you get me you get what i'm saying there the 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 whole the whole idea of anxiety is a very strange concept to explain to someone that's never had to deal with it um it's 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 this black hole of despair that sort of opens up and swallows all hope that anything will ever get better even though in another part of your brain you're telling yourself last week was amazing i had the best week of my life but today the world is going to end and it, it sounds ridiculous even to myself i know it sounds ridiculous and I, yeah i laugh when i say it because it is insane to me that those things happen but i have those days and all I can hope for is the fact that 
one day maybe I'll be good enough at dealing with those days that they won't affect me anymore. Yeah, because people say it's often like everyone compares it to having another voice in your head and they're like, it's not you talking, it's the eating disorder, it's not you talking, it's the anxiety. But then in your head you're like, no, it is me, but then it's not. I always feel like I've got a voice at the back of my head that I know it's rational, but then some part of me doesn't. And it's so difficult to describe to people who haven't been through it. The, the whole idea at the start for me was of, of that it was another voice, that it was something else telling me, wasn't helpful because it it feels so deeply to be you that you can't yeah. quite distinguish the two. And then you're then you're worried that if the happiness is another voice or if the sadness is actually you, you I don't know what actually you is. Yeah, you it, it it makes it harder to actually distinguish who you are as a person. Um, it's it's a really yeah, it's a really weird thing, isn't it? So, as someone who's in recovery, someone that has been doing it, doing it a while, been doing the recovery thing, what's some advice that you would give? What's advice that you give when you go live on TikTok? What's advice that you give to people that you meet that are struggling with an eating disorder or body dysmorphia or any of these things that kind of come hand in hand? I usually give the worst advice. Like half the things I say are just, they're just not helpful for some people. But to me, like my own coping mechanisms are like weird, but they work a charm. So I always say, when I'm 40, I can worry about what I eat. Uh, when I'm 30, I can think about that because when now I've got so much life, I'm about to live going to uni and stuff like this. I don't want to be held back and have to take another year in school or have to do stay at home and live with my parents for another few years. I want that life, so I'll come back to it when I'm 40, knowing when I am 40, I won't care. Like, you just won't care. So that's one thing I do. And if that doesn't work, I'm like, I'll worry about it in five minutes. I'll do that. I'll worry about it in five minutes. Um, that's the thing that mainly works for me. But... In other sense, it is just you have to go headfirst into recovery. There is no choice. It's going to be rubbish, but the faster you get it done, the faster it, you're better. And you don't have to think about it again because I have technically recovered before. I went to hospital, fully recovered there. And like the few weeks after that were the best of my life. I felt like I didn't have a care in the world and I could just do whatever I wanted and then came back home like from holiday and back to school and sort of spiraled again. But now it is, I look for every good day. And one thing my dad always says to me when I come home after like, say I've been seeing my friends all day, I'll be like, that was amazing. I'm on top of the world. My dad will be like, remember that feeling. And when you're feeling low, try and like mirror that feeling, try and get that feeling back and know that there are amazing days in every shit week. There is a good day. Yeah, no, that's a... It's a great message, you know, and the idea that going headfirst into recovery is something I can 100% agree with. There's no half doing things. Um, it, otherwise, it's just not going to work. Um, recovery is something that I think is often um, only talked about in the sense of drug addiction. So when people say, I'm in recovery or I'm an addict, da 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 
they only think of drugs, really, or alcohol or AA and these sorts of things, the programs that I'm doing. But at the end of the day, the mentality of having an eating disorder or any of these things, it's an addiction. It's an addiction to food or an addiction to not eating. It's an addiction to hating your body. Yeah, it's an addiction to the feeling. And I think someone someone asked me the the other day, why why isn't um why why aren't caffeine and nicotine included in the program? And I said, because those things in and of themselves don't necessarily quell the absolute hatred I have for myself. They're not tools that I can use to block my brain from saying the things that it wants to. Um, and and in that space, things that can be used like that aren't necessarily narcotics. Eating disorders, I don't know if you'll agree with me, is, is, is a thing that people use to cope. It's a coping mechanism for life. Yeah, everyone always says, oh, what are you trying to control? What are you trying to do? And it's like, you don't understand it until like you can look at it from, I guess, an outside perspective. Like if something's going wrong in your life, you see, you don't see that. You see the body, you see in the mirror as being wrong. You see your eating habits as being wrong, something like that. And I think that's the way people don't understand that sort of vision of it. So there's a lot of movement on the internet and social media around eating disorders that I've seen that's amazing and positive and amazing, great change. And what's one thing that you think brands should be, food brands and any other brand that you can think of should be focusing on to help people with eating disorders? So sorry about the dogs as well, by the way. Um, there are... as mad when when i was in hospital that we'd watch telly and stuff and like adverts would come up and you'd just think you'd everyone would be sat there going oh god like that's that's horrific like how can they say that and you don't realize it until you're in that environment sort of thing um and i think brands like brandy melville have you heard of brandy melville it's like yeah and then they were known for having like skeletal um models in their brand and i think recently they only have one size as well and i think stuff like that and like all the models especially i think i focus more on that for clothing brands always do seem to be on the smaller side and i think the whole movement with um plus size and just normal bodies being used in modeling is really good i think it's really helpful because i remember i used to always look at asos and be like but i won't look like that in it or I, but I won't feel like that woman. I won't look as good as her. And I think having the inclusivity of like all different types of bodies, all different skin colours, scars and stuff like this, it is so helpful in a movement towards it. I think I think you touched on something there that's really important in the sense that you said normal bodies. I think branding to plus size and then branding to another, there shouldn't be a split in my opinion, there shouldn't be any, there shouldn't be one or the other. It should just be branding for normal bodies, people in general. It's like when you go on ASOS, it says the petite one, and then there's the plus size one, but I think I'll just include them in the, it's the same product, just include it in the same size. And then just have all the different sizes coming down. 
I think it's it's a very it's still very weirdly branded and even on the tube on like in London, Boohoo, ASOS, all of their branding is is very geared towards, you know, a, a skinny, perfect, airbrushed frame. And and that that's why I think TikTok is completely overtaking any other social media platform because people are being themselves. People are showing what it's like to be a normal human being. People are fighting for the justice that we deserve when it comes to our mental health, when it comes to eating disorders, when it comes to all of these things. Whereas you go on Instagram and you go on the explore page and it's one model after another who's photoshopped, whether it be a guy or a girl. Yeah, I remember because I was scrolling through Instagram the other week. Um, my boyfriend was like, I think like your Instagram feed, you need to like either delete it or unfollow so many people because he was like, everyone you look at is a model or everyone you look at is like something to do with presenting themselves as perfect instead of just seeing like your friends. So I did a whole going through my following and just literally unfollowing about a few hundred people because he was like, do they make you unhappy? And I was like, well, yeah. Like, and he was like, well, delete them. Get that out of your life. I, I have similar feelings when I go on Instagram, when I'm looking at female models, I go, they're so attractive. I would never be as attractive equally as a male. And it, it, it is the same feeling even when I look at men in magazines or on Instagram, it's the same thing. I think that's so, because my my boyfriend as well, he he says like, when he's looking at like, going back to the ASOS thing, he's like, I'm not the plus size one. I'm not that one. I, he's always saying, I'm not got the pecs or, and I don't like, most girls don't even like that. It's these, the men online that like the Love Island boys, for example. They're all so perfectly strong and got these like gym bodies and it's just that is not everyone and it's mad to think that everyone feels that and it's usually you think of it as only girls looking at girls and feeling insecure but it is everyone feeling insecure because of these airbrushed people well as we know the the majority of people that take their own lives are men aged between the ages of 16 and 24 um 25% of people suffering from an eating disorder are men um it's it's not Mental health is absolutely non-discriminatory. It will attack everyone and anyone and is very fatal. And so it's in, it's incredibly important that we talk about these things and why I was so psyched that you, that you replied to me on Instagram to say that you'd be up for doing this because to see someone else around my age doing what I'm doing or just even talking about it with the candidness um, that you have, you know, you're, you're very willing to just be completely honest and it's, it's really refreshing. Oh, thank you. No, I, I really appreciate it because I, I've seen, like saw what you're doing and I was like, that is so important. Like it's just furthering the movement. And I think it's absolutely incredible that you're doing this. Thank you for saying that. It's it, it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild nine years to get to this point um, where where I feel comfortable talking about it. You know, it's it's not an easy thing to do. And you know, as I say to everybody, I didn't do this in a day. I didn't just wake up the day after feeling sad and start doing a podcast. You know, I've got here through hard work.
and it it sucks to say that because you know i wish i could tell people it'll be fine tomorrow it will be fine tomorrow but honesty is the only way i got here people being honest so with me and me being honest with people how long did you want to have the podcast for so i i was sat in my room bored and tired and sad and i i, I recorded myself i i i I wrote a script for the first episode um, and then recorded it and worked out how to put it on the internet. Um, and it all kind of was just born in one night. Um, after, yeah, it was a very spur of the moment thing as as was like, just yeah, this whole thing was very spur of the moment. Um, and it felt good, you know. Um, a lot of what I did in, and do in recovery is write things down write my feelings something that i tell yeah journals journal 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 yeah, i know it's, it sounds so cheesy to say it and you 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 will agree with me that it works writing these things down works it is a weird therapeutic thing that when you write down how you feel type it i type a lot of stuff because i'm sat at my computer a lot just be in your notes section full. yeah halfway halfway through work today i was just during my lunch break I wrote something in word because I felt that it would help me it's like personal therapy exactly it is it is 100% that and it it's such an effective tool um, for anyone suffering from any sort of illness or anything really just to get those feelings out because oftentimes they are unnecessary you can give them up you can give them away because your brain needs to focus. Yeah, your brain can focus on something else. Yeah. You see what's irrational because you read it back and you're like, that's so stupid. Yeah, exactly. You kind of, you you trick yourself into thinking that all of these things are a big deal and you write them down and you go, oh, no, never mind. That wasn't, that wasn't. <laughs> never mind. Yeah, you go, oh, well, I'm, I am insane and it's fine. I'll deal with, <laughs> I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that. I'm just yeah. glad I got those those feelings out. It's uh, it's weird, and I'm I'm glad there are people talking about it. So, I've got one last question for you. If you had one message for everybody listening, what would it be? Oh, that's so much pressure. Oh, I can't think of anything that's not cliche. Like, take every day as just your last. That's it. Yeah. Like, you have to just live. Do what you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. It's not even like. Oh, obviously within reason but <laughs> do what would make you feel good instead of listening to the rubbish voices in your head that was so much pressure Archie I I apologize <laughs> but I appreciate the message I think it is a beautiful message it may be cliche but oftentimes repetition telling people these things a thousand times is the only way to get it through <laughs> you know what would yours be what if i could leave one message for everybody right now leave a message to my message is pick up the phone you'll never know who could be at the end and how much they could help you well i want to thank you so much for your time thank you for having me. thank you so much have a lovely rest of your friday have a lovely weekend and you bye 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Reconnecting Podcast. If you've been affected by anything that we've discussed in this episode, please look to the description where I have left links for you to be able to find help. As I always say, 
pick up the phone and you'll never know what could happen. Love you all and I'll see you next time. Bye bye.